0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, and it is time for a full preview of the 2020 ATP Finals in London. The O2 Arena for one last time. Unfortunately, without fans, what a shame that is. I've I've had the pleasure of visiting the O2 Arena myself, not for the tennis tournament, but just in general. Wonderful venue, absolutely love it. I've I love the presentation of this tournament. The dark stands, the the lit up court. It's it's a unique. Here's what we ask for in tennis: something different, something unique. And I love that the ATP Finals in London, which by the way, it's more in London than Wimbledon. You know, we we kind of say that like Wimbledon is London's tournament. If anything is London's tournament, it's it's this one. Is that going to make people mad? I'm not from there, so so maybe I shouldn't speak on this. A meandering start to Monday Match Analysis. Great to be back. Sorry about the lack of Paris coverage. Things got crazy. Stuff came up. Life got in the way. Uh, But it feels very, very good to be back previewing a tournament that I'm very excited for. I absolutely love the field. So first I will show you the thumbnail, and that's what I'm talking about uh, with with the venue. And these are the groups. The groups came out earlier today. There is Group Tokyo, 1970 and Group London 2020. Let's start with Group Tokyo. It is Daniil Medvedev, Alexander Zverev, Novak Djokovic and Diego Schwartzman. Group London 2020, Andrei Rublev, Rafael Nadal, Dominic Team, Stefanos Tsitsipas. I was not planning on on going there, but when I see these groups, some wild stuff happening in my brain. I don't know if any wild things are happening in your brain, but I'll tell you what what's going on here. It's. It seems like they neatly organized these players based on two things. First thing, look at Group Tokyo. It's all of the best backhands on tour. It's basically all the best backhands. In the top eight, certainly, it's the four best backhands. You have Diego Schwartzman. Certainly, unbelievably underrated backhand and one of the best in the world. Novak Djokovic needs no introduction. Alexander Zverev, the, the strength of his game, more or less. Daniil Medvedev, same can be said for him. The four best backhands in the world. Now you look at Group London. Rublev, Nadal, team Tsitsipas. You probably know where I'm going with this. It's the four best forehands. They just took the best backhands, put them in a group. Took the best forehands, put them in another group. So that's one of the first things I noticed. Um Rublev, Nadal team, Tsitsipas just heavy heavy backhands, but also uh, vaguely um in terms of play style, there's also kind of a grouping here, a distinct a distinctive grouping. I see Medvedev, Zverev, Djokovic and Schwartzman as players who really excel from uh defensive and neutral positions. And you know, I would never call any of these guys defensive players, but they're, uh, they have to wait for their opportunity to attack a little bit more, and they really thrive from neutral, and they're great movers and great defenders. Group London is a more... Uh, it's kind of a different breed of player. They're players who really are dictating players. They, they, want, to, they want to take the offensive as soon as possible at all costs, all of them. Um, so it's a very interesting thing that happened with these groups and the reason I'm taking time to to talk about this is because I think it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I think it'll be fun to just keep that in mind and it might kind of add, I think it'll add to my viewing experience, just framing these different groups and seeing how they play out because I really do think that out of coincidence and keep in mind, it they're put in groups of two. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, cannot be in the same group together. So they, they distribute it like that, but it's kind of randomized. Uh, so out of complete coincidence, I feel like these groups are separated into like these distinctive playstyles, and it's going to be a lot of strength on strength. Um, okay. So hopefully that was interesting to you guys and I'm not just weirdly geeking out. Uh, but let us get to the preview here. Group Tokyo... 1970 standings prediction there is this is not a normal tournament so it's not going to be a normal quarter by quarter preview of course um, I don't know if I said this congratulations to everyone who who got in of course um, my standings prediction for Tokyo is Alexander Zverev as the one Novak Djokovic as the two seed Daniil Medvedev as the three and Diego Schwartzman as the four Let me just go player by player here and just give a quick synopsis. Um, Zverev is someone who has been on fire since Roland Garros. Three tournaments, three titles. I have a theory about Zverev that I'm kind of excited to share, which is uh, that his second serve cooperates a lot more indoors and he doesn't double fault as much. And you think, why, why might that be? And my theory is perhaps his high toss tends to cooperate a lot better. I broke I broke down Zverev's serve over the pandemic when it was very clear after a long layoff occurred with Zverev. He came back and played Adria Tour and was still double faulting all the time. And it kind of felt like, oh, you had this beautiful chance to take a break, reset the mind after Australia where it looked better. It kind of felt like Zverev was turning the corner. And then as soon as I saw him at the Adria Tour, it was like, Oh, that was my one takeaway. Basically my one takeaway was, oh no, Zverev's second serve is not uh, figured out at at all at this period in time. So um, my theory, oh, let me me finish that thought. So when I broke down Zverev's serve with Jeff Salzenstein, one of the things that we agreed on and something that Jeff uh, did a really good job breaking down is the height of Zverev's toss can really be problematic. It is a very high toss. And of course, with no wind, it might just be that his toss is a lot uh, more consistent and easier at a time, and that might be why Zverev hits better second serves indoors. I was really impressed with Zverev's second serve ever since Roland Garros in the two tournaments he won in Cologne and at the Paris Masters. I thought his uh, his toss and, and his second serve was pretty good. Um, forehand has been way better. I've covered this, but I really like his forehand and how 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 good uh, how well he's hit his forehand, flattening it out, being more aggressive. And I just don't think it's been the shaky shot that I knew it to be for so long in the early stages of his career. I think his forehand has looked really good recently. And another thing about Zverev is he plays great against great players. He really raises his game. If you look at the head-to-head, really against everyone in the big three, uh, he's beaten all of them. I just feel he he really tends to raise his game against the very best. He is a former champion here. Was it 2018? Um, Zverev won? No. Yeah, yeah, 2018. So, I am very high on, on Zverev coming into this tournament in, in terms of tennis, separating what, you know, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I struggle just to talk about his tennis right now because I'm very distracted in my brain when I talk about Alexander Zverev at the moment. But, um, I said my piece already on that, so um, I'm sure I'm sure that's not over, and we'll talk about about that stuff with Zverev at some point, but it's not going to be right now. But it's probably going to come up again at some point. I just don't think that's over. At number two, Novak Djokovic. By the way, the way this works is everyone plays everyone round robin, both groups. The top two make the semifinals. And then it's like a normal single elimination tournament. Novak Djokovic, uh, something that I've been pretty adamant about. He has not looked the same since coming back from the pandemic. And I understand he's won titles, but I think it's it's undeniable that he has not been at the invincible level that he seemed to be at going, I think it was like 21, 22 and 0 uh, before the, the tour paused, heading into Indian Wells in March, early March when the tour paused. I don't think Djokovic has been that same guy. I just don't think he's reached that level. I'm a little bit nervous that he could be undercooked from lack of match play. This will be his fourth match in the last 30-plus days. He really didn't get much run in Vienna. He did have a good test against Borna Church before that, that awful uh, lackluster loss to Lorenzo Sinego, but not a lot of match play since the French Open. Um, so that is something to perhaps keep an eye on. That maybe he, his preparation in terms of match play isn't great coming into this tournament. Which, by the way, really hits you like a truck. And let's, let's be very, very clear about that. This is not the tournament that you can work your way into. You don't get the easy first round and the easy second round and the easy third round. Okay, now I have my level and now I can hit the ground running. Uh, we kind of saw that, I think, with Nadal last year, if I'm remembering correctly, where... I think he lost his first match, then I think halfway through his second match, I think he was down big to Medvedev, and then he came back and won his third match, and it was very clear that Nadal just wasn't quite ready in the beginning, and then he found he found his level, but it was too late. So keep an eye on that lack of match play for Djokovic. But at the end of the day, uh, he's the best player in the world on the surface, so that's what's going in his favor. That's what will buoy him. That's what buoys my stock. And that's why I have him at number two. At number three, I have Daniil Medvedev, who uh, took a, a huge step. A huge step. Big confidence booster. I did allude to in, in my Paris preview, I said, you know, Medvedev's on upset alert because I think he, he is in a vulnerable space, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he won the tournament. He won the tournament. The low bounce is such a big deal for Daniil Medvedev. It is absolutely massive, I cannot stress it enough. Go back and watch the match. Watch the final against Verev and watch how many errors Medvedev forced because Verev had to scrape the ball off the court surface. If if Medvedev can't hit it past you, if he can't hit it by you, that's one thing. But when you're on the dead run and the ball is, you know, skidding along the court surface and you know, never gets more than two feet up in the air, not only is he attacking you with width, but he's attacking you with height, and it becomes very difficult to defend. So if you go back and you see how many errors Medvedev forced out of Zverev when Medvedev uh, stepped into the court and played offensively, it is very, very notable how much a low-bouncing court can help Medvedev's offense And it can also help him remain unattackable. Overall, it really helps his game. And I like his serve indoors. Um, And he returned really impressively against Alexander Zverev as well. So Daniil Medvedev could have a shot here. And I, I do like him. And to be very, very clear, I'll just say that right now before I get to Diego Schwartzman. And this will be my transition into Diego Schwartzman. I think everyone in this field can win the tournament uh, there's no one who I would really be surprised if they won the title, except for Schwartzman. Uh, he is the one player who comes in at number four for in my prediction for Group Tokyo 1970. Schwartzman's the one player, and by the way, he thoroughly deserves to be here, and I am so glad he is here because I think he's going to wear down some players. I don't think the players in Group Tokyo are, you know, I don't think they get a a good draw to have Diego Schwartzman in their group. I don't think that at all. I think that Schwartzman's going to wear some guys down, play some good, long matches, maybe some of the more entertaining matches of the week. However, I don't think he can win it, and he's the only player who would really surprise me if he lifted the trophy at the end. Uh, But there's a lot to like about Diego Schwartzman. He um, has been a player who's been absolutely tremendous ever since coming back from the pandemic, playing really some of the best baseline tennis in the world, that has been consistent. He has been unbelievably solid at all times from the baseline and in his return game. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about how, uh, how tough and how physical every match is going to need to be for Diego Schwartzman against all top players. And on a surface like this, I really just think serve matters a lot. It's the reason why. I ultimately picked against him in Paris, even though I felt like he was one of the more motivated players in the field there. Uh I just think that there's gonna be players who are going to outfirepower him and especially expose the the difference in firepower on the serve. So to recap for group Tokyos Verev and Djokovic, I have moving on to the semifinals. Medvedev, I I really do like this week. I would not be surprised if he made some noise, but I had to cut him here, and Diego Schwartzman comes at number four. Moving on to Group London 2020. I know I'm not doing this in the most suspenseful way, but so be it. Here's my prediction. Rafael Nadal at number one. Andre Rublev at number two. Dominic Team at number three. Stefano Tsitsipas at number four. Let's go through these guys now. Rafa, the serve looked good in Paris. The return looked atrocious. I thought it was it was uh, it was strange, coming off of the best returning performance I've ever seen from Rafael Nadal against Novak Djokovic in the French Open final. Coming off of that, I thought Nadal's return was a huge problem all week, and. It's the main reason why he couldn't find confidence in his game. One positive for Nadal coming into this is he's less fatigued and less worn down than he normally is at this time of year. I don't think Nadal has been a player who has held up particularly well late in the season, especially post-US Open. So if there is one reason why 2020 might be the year where Nadal finally wins an ATP final, one thing that is missing on his resume Maybe it could be this year because he's simply less tired and less worn down. Another point: I like the effort. I like the fact that he made the extra effort to pre- to prepare in Paris. Notice, uh, I think that that's one thing which is a check mark for Nadal, which might be an X for Djokovic. Is I am a little bit more confident in Nadal's ability to kind of. Uh, have uh, less rust coming into this tournament. So I I really do like that he made the extra effort and Paris can act as kind of a warm-up tournament, even though he didn't play great. Of course, the last point is this is a difficult surface for Nadal. And that mostly has to do with kind of the low bounce dead ball conditions, which make his forehand a lot more potent than usual. And um, I'm, I'll be interested to see his defense this week. and Because, you know, something that I, I've been wanting to monitor with Nadal is the difference between how well he defends on clay versus how well he defends on hardcourt later in his career. And I have noticed a pretty significant gap there. But sometimes it's really hard to see the gap when Nadal is playing lesser competition. Only against the best of competition can someone really test Nadal's defense on a hard court. So that's also something that I'll be watching for carefully. Ultimately, I think that in this group, there's a lot of really good matchups for Nadal. Um, There's a lot of matchups that I think Nadal feels pretty good about. Number two here is Andre Rublev. Rublev is um, probably the second-best player of 2020. Well, that's not really true. It's not really true. Majors are so overpowered. He's the third-best player in 2020 um, after after Djokovic and and Nadal, for sure. Um, Look, the reality is Rublev has struggled only against the elite. He has beaten everyone else with unbelievable consistency, so I can't wait to see what he can do this week. There is a buzzsaw matchup um, in the field, which which is Medvedev, but luckily Medvedev is not in his group. Uh, I do think that the way Tsitsipas beat him at the French will give Stefanos confidence in their matchup, and I think that it'll be interesting to see if Tsitsipas can do similar things where he really tore apart Rublev and made him uncomfortable with the amount of variety that he brought to the court. The Rublev serve is becoming a real strength, though, and watch out for the first serve and how well he's been hitting his spots. That is becoming a problem, and he's becoming really difficult to break because the serve plus one is so strong. Rublev is so good moving inside the court and attacking forehands and backhands off the first shot. I also love the way Andre Rublev is competing. He is taking every single point so seriously, and if there's one player who I know is not checked out at this period in time, it is, without a doubt, Andrey Rublev and I know he is going to uh, take uh, bring the highest level of focus and energy to the court. I also think that Andrey Rublev can beat players who he can rush on a surface like this with how early he takes the ball and how big he hits the ball. A big um, a big factor with Andrey Rublev when I look at who's a good matchup for Rublev and who is a bad matchup for Rublev, I look at players. Who, um, who are susceptible to being rushed and who are diminished when they are rushed. Dominic Team is really a, a prime example of that. If you rush Dominic Team, you neutralize his power, you extract errors, you do great things. It, it, it's a very, if you can rush him, you really, you, you're really going to have more success against Team. Titsy is the same exact way, especially on his backhand. He has an underdeveloped slice, so if you um, if you rush him on that side enough, you make him go to that shot. That is tremendous, and when he tries to hit over it, you'll often get backhand errors if you can rush him. Nadal uh, is uh, again, you know, he's more of a he's just more polished in that area compared to team. And pass but relatively speaking, he's another player who who really loves time. And if you can starve from, if you can starve him of that, he is is not he is not as immune to to being rushed as a Djokovic or a Medvedev or um, a, uh, a Zverev or even a Federer, right? So th- those are players who are a little bit harder to rush, I think. So. I, th- I really like this group for Rublev. I think Rublev would have fared a lot worse in the other group. And that is a lot of the reason why I have him at number two. And I think he's going to be able to pull off some wins here. Let's see. Maybe his lack of touch, his lack of feel is going to be exposed. Maybe he will not have enough variety and his transition game won't be good enough. Maybe we'll see Andre Rublev on the court this week and it'll become very, very clear that he really needs to improve his net game and his volleying in order to be successful. Or maybe he needs to improve his defense. These are all things that are possible uh, that we'll see. It's just a matter of whose terms is are these matches going to be played on. And uh, I'm really, one of the main things I'll be excited to see is how Rublev handles this competition. Because as I said at the start here, he's beating everyone. Except sometimes the top guys, who who he um, he has some wins against Dominic Team though, um, but for the most part he's not beating the top guys. He's just beating everyone else. Let us move on to Dominic Team. Um, he doesn't have much momentum. That's for sure. I mean, losing in the quarterfinals of the French, but mostly I'm talking post French Open. He he played Vienna, and dealt with severe blisters and had to pull out, and that is an injury that was severe enough where he immediately pulled out of Paris. So I also saw an interview that his physio did. Um, he, he had to pull out of his match against Rublev, and Rublev beat him 7-6, 6-2. So that's you know, another, another thing that maybe I, um, should be brought up here, that Rublev has the latest head-to-head on indoor hardcourt just a month ago. Um, anyway, I saw an interview with Dominic Team's physio, and he said this was not a normal blister. and apologies to get a little bit graphic here, but it kind of sounds like team kind of like sliced his foot open in in blister form. It, it had to be bad when you pull out the next week. So he's definitely missed some practice time here. and this is not like his most natural surface by any stretch. So, Injury concerns, you know, concerns about Dominic Team's ability to bring his highest level. I have them. With that being said, I still think that Dominic Team probably has the biggest game in the world right now. When it's perfect, when it's right, when it's consistent. In serene conditions, lucid conditions, indoor hardcourt, if you have the biggest game, you have a great chance. That's what we saw last year when Dominic team hit Novak Djokovic off the court and there really wasn't much Djokovic could have done. With that being said, I also think that team is not serving as well as he needs to. Not serving as well as he was at the end of last year. Not serving as well as he was for large parts of this year. I think his serve has kind of gone downhill at the tail end of 2020. I feel like he's probably going to get it back. I wouldn't read too much into it. I think it's just a short-term trend. But that is perhaps something to watch out for. So, for Dominic Team, I'm concerned about his ability to bring his best level. With that being said, I think his best level is absolutely terrifying for, for everyone. And that's just, you can copy paste that analysis for every single tournament that Dominic Team enters in from now on. Lastly, in Group London 2020, we have Stefanos Tsitsipas, another player who uh, might not be 100% right now. He said in an interview that the injury that he sustained at the French has come back. Um, The Novak joke, you know, in in the fifth set against Djokovic, when his leg was bothering him, he said that's coming back. So I don't know what kind of health Tsitsipas comes into this tournament. It's another thing that made picking this group a lot easier than picking the other group, even though this group has the matchups that Maybe I'm a little bit more excited to watch, to be honest. Uh, but it, it was easier to pick this group because I, because Team and pass might not have their best, and that's kind of why I, I felt somewhat or I felt more comfortable going with Rublev. It was just an easier decision for me. Uh, so I'm concerned about that. Tsitsipas one and two since the French Open on indoor hard, so he's not in any kind of form, and he's a confidence player. He he feeds off confidence. Does pass? I still wish he was returning serve better. I just don't think it's coming along fast enough. He's trying. He's aware of it. He wants to make it better. I, I'm just not sure he's really getting the results yet consistently. And on an individual match basis, I can circle matches and I can say in that match, he he did get results and he did return well and he used the block return and it was great, but consistently, I'm still not seeing that, and I think that's a, still a problem anytime we get a fast court. So that's why at the French, that is kind of a non-factor, and Tsitsipas can return serve at a high rate, and he becomes more dangerous. I still think on a court like this, um, that becomes a problem. He's also the defending champion, and I don't love that. I think that adds pressure. I don't really think that ever helps a player, if anything, it hurts. Sometimes players are unaffected by the idea of that they're the defending champion. Obviously, Rafa Nadal has never had an issue being the defending champion at Roland Garros, for example. Um, and Roger Federer has only won the U.S. Open as a non-defending champion once, the first time, right? So that's not a rule, obviously, Obviously, this is, a, this is a pretty dumb point I'm making that defending champions can still win, but I don't love it. So it's just one more thing to throw out there. So ultimately, just to reiterate, I have Nadal and Rublev moving on to the semifinals. Uh, Dominic Team and Stefano Tsitsipas packing their bags before the final weekend. If that is the case, uh, the ones the one plays the two in um, in each group. So that would pit Rublev and Zverev playing each other. It would pit Djokovic against Nadal. And you, you know the rules here. I'm not going to break down these these matchups very heavily. If it comes to this, then I will break them down. I'm not going to waste my time breaking down matchups that probably won't come true based on probability. It's a very difficult tournament to predict, folks. These uh, the results are never obvious because these players are all really close in level. So uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go in-depth here, but I have Zverev over Rublev, three sets, Djokovic over Nadal, three sets, and Zverev over Djokovic in three sets. Zverev is is the player who uh, I think is playing the highest level on this court surface right now, uh, just taking into account the full uh, body of work and the things I'm seeing from Alexander Zverev. Um, he's played an unbelievably impressive level, and I do think that in terms of Novak Djokovic, if you say, well, how could you pick against Djokovic here? I also think that there are just some players here that might be hungrier at the moment, and given his his level post pandemic, I think that if someone is 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 playing their their very best um, at this tournament on this court surface, I think they can beat Novak Djokovic. So I do have Novak going far. I think he's definitely dangerous here, but uh, Zverev is my my pick to win this one again. I would not be shocked if any of seven players win it, uh, which is why I'm so excited to uh, to watch this tournament. The good news here is my schedule uh, looks to be pretty good. Uh, so I think I'm gonna be able to cover this pretty heavily. So let's fingers crossed. Hope that stays the same. Uh, definitely stay tuned. For midweek coverage of the 2020 Nitto ATP finals, remember that Monday Match Analysis is available on all podcast platforms. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel.